This is Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. Stanford, 90.1 FM. Radio Atenea Americana. This is Atenea Americana. Bilingual house of culture. On the air and online. Radio Atenea Americana. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para la radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Jubes. Isabel Jubes. Bienvenidos. Atenea Americana. Welcome. Bienvenidos. From Stanford to the world. And today we're talking with Dr. Angelica Perez Lidwin. She has been a regular contributor to the show for many years. She is also recognized as one of the top 50 influencers Latino in the United States, that by Hispanic Magazine. Dr. Perez Lidwin, she has been a visionary leader devoted to advocating careers and influences in Latinas and in Hispanic women in the United States and even abroad. She is the founder of Latina Think Big platform and she is also, well, mainly a practicing psychologist, Dr. Perez Lidwin. She held a research faculty appointment at New York University School of Medicine. She has a bachelor's degree in psychology from Columbia University and a PhD in clinical psychology from Fordman University. She is also an alumni of the NHLI's Executive Leadership Program and from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government Executive Education. Currently, she has her practice as a licensed clinical psychologist in Greenville, South Carolina. Today, we have invited her to talk to us about the mental crisis that is happening hand-to-hand to the 2020 pandemic crisis. So how people are dealing with this, how people can deal with this, and how had the pandemic affected our mental health in general, and even how it had affected uh, some people more than others. So we want to welcome today Dr. Angelica Perez Lidwin. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat with you. Yes. You know, it has been a challenging year in many aspects, uh, which have definitely had influenced our mood and uh, many, many things, mostly in our mental health and mental health department, which is your speciality. So what do you think has been some of the challenges that people had on the mental health coming? Well, let's start with this pandemic, uh, how the pandemic had affected people in general. Yeah, so um, as, as we have been experiencing, COVID-19 has impacted all our different layers of our lives, including, of course, uh, mental health and emotional well-being. And um, that's because a lot of the, the things that have been impacted in our lives are feeling out of control. There's a lack of certainty about, you know, what's happening tomorrow. 
And so when you don't feel like you have predictability or you feel that you're in control or you're experiencing grief, whether it is around uh, unemployment or underemployment or changes like having your children at home, what, what creates, um, that creates a feeling of anxiety. Uh, that creates a feeling of worry. And for people who are already suffering from anxiety disorders um, or anything related to worries, those symptoms can get uh, exacerbated. And similarly, people who are depressed, they may also feel uh, more depressed or less hopeful because of the situation where there's also, like I said, there's a lot of loss. And so whether you have anxiety disorder, depression, or you have some other uh, psychological condition, th those conditions tend to get um, worsened by this type of, of situation. Yeah. And uh, so there is also that level of isolation because if even some people didn't have a lot of connection or did, if, even if you didn't have, at least you went to the store and say hello to, I don't know, the butcher or whatever, and uh, you went outside and had to interact with people or buying a coffee, now we don't even have that if you were already an introvert. So that is a big change. And even more, if you were a person who depended on going out and... Uh, talking with your friends or doing stuff every day, now you cannot do that anymore, so now from a screen, so. Right, that's correct. Um, social connectedness is really what keeps us feeling alive. That's what helps us feel, find meaning in our lives, that through those relationships. And as much as virtual uh, Zoom parties and all that are helpful because you get to see your loved one, it's really about being in the same place at the same time where you can see someone's face, you can interact, you can hug, you can really feel connected emotionally just by looking at someone's um, you know, eyes and face. And so that type of social connectedness and emotional uh, connection is incredibly important, especially during this time. And not having that to help you go through this is also another uh, problem that's added to. And not having that social support and that connectedness it's also very detrimental to how people are already feeling. So when you think about all the different changes and the losses and all the unpredictability, and on top of that, you don't have someone to share that emotionally or feel hugged emotionally or physically, that creates a lot of anxiety and emotional turmoil mm -hmm. for a lot of people. A lot of this, when you were talking, reminds me a little bit about the situation of immigration when somebody immigrates or go to a new place, or even if they don't even know the language, they also feel this distance and connectiveness with with their environment. So, in a way, it relates even more to immigration and and the fact that they are not connected to the new place and the new environment. They are also alone now. Is Everybody's feeling a little bit of that, in a way. Well, that's interesting you mentioned that because my, my doctoral dissertation was actually looking at the impact of cross-cultural migration on mental health. And, one of, and I did this among Dominican immigrants in New York City. And one of the things that we found, that I found, that to say, was that immigrants that came from Dominican Republic and they moved to an environment where there was really no sense of community because there were not other Dominicans there, uh, versus those that did come in and they already had established networks that perhaps they knew from before. They, those who did not have those social connectedness or just familiarity with each other, uh, those were the ones that did not fare well. They uh, show much more depression. 
Um, they also felt very disconnected. Uh, there was a lot of emotional distress. And even their level of functioning and quality of life was very different. So we are social animals. Mm -hmm. And having people to go to and talk to and uh, feel connected is crucial for us to feel alive and validated and, and happy. So yes, there is a, a strong feeling of uh, displacement that a lot of people are feeling around the country that immigrants are used to feeling when they have to move somewhere else and they don't know the language. <laughs> they have to adjust. And the big word around COVID is adjustment. And when people have a hard time adjusting, that's really what creates a lot of emotional distress, a lot of psychological problems. And so helping people adjust to this new reality and on top of that, giving them some hope is going to be crucial for our patients, for our family, for the country. I see it also a little bit from my perspective as a Venezuelan. When you say adjusting, you just click another connection. You know the story about putting, a, if you put a frog in, in the water and start turning on, the temperature, if you put a frog in a boiling water, it will just jump and go away. But if you start turning little by little the temperature, it will just adjust to the next level. So there was a big adjustment at the beginning, but now we are like preparing for whatever because now we're adjusting to the next level. And now what comes next and what comes next, we're like men, like in a different mental space to, to come to the new level of whatever is coming. Well, using your example, Isa, mm -hmm. I think that we are like that frog that was put into that hot water by mm -hmm. boiling water. <laughs> um, I, you know, I wish we had been sort of like taken slowly into this, but to many people, it really feels like they were just put into that uh, hot boiling water. And so they really have, they're struggling. They're trying to get out, but they just can't. And a lot of them are dying, right? In that pot of water, they're having COVID, they're, um, you know, their loved ones are dying and they don't have a chance to say goodbye. And so those are huge moments in your lives that we will never be able to get that back. You know, if you didn't get to say goodbye to your father and your father was in the hospital, you will never have that chance to be with that loved one um, in their last days. So so the things that we're experiencing right now are incredibly profound uh, in people's lives and they will never be forgotten. Never. People will never be the same again. Yeah, there is the the fear. You know, in many levels, you have everybody have an elder family. They are particular uh, vulnerable for this. Although we prove that everybody was vulnerable for this. And uh, for example, as you know, having children at home, and you know that if they get sick and need to go to a hospital. You cannot be with the child because they're going to just lock you out and have people in quarantine with other children. So is you thinking that your kid is going to be for a week or two in a hospital without you by yourself? I mean, it's, it's like a horror story in general for everybody and everybody's afraid. That's right. And, and so a lot of the structures around our lives have also been changed. You know, no, no longer can you be, um, you know, actually right now, uh, maybe a couple of... Uh, months ago, or one or two months ago, um, fathers were allowed to be in the same room where their wives were, and they were giving birth, but there was, there was, you know, a few months where people were, you know, the hospital regulations were not allowing husbands or partners to be there, and so that's extremely isolating and very scary. You're giving birth to a human being, and you can't even have the partner, the person that you love there with you, and similarly, it's, you know, you think about it three times when you don't feel well, and you need to go to the hospital. You don't want to be next to someone that potentially has COVID, or you don't want to be cared for by a health care provider that a health care provider that has 
uh, the potential of impacting you. So what happens is that we start distrusting the systems around us. And again, that adds to that feeling of anxiety. Um, where can I go? Where can I get help? Well, you can't get help from your mom who can make you tea because she's not here. <laughs> you can't go to the hospital. You can't go to your regular, um, you know, provider who's maybe around the corner. You can't go outside and say hello to your neighbors. And so all of a sudden we feel trapped. And I think that's the problem. We're having a hard time adjusting. We're feeling trapped. We don't know where to go. And imagine if you're a child feeling that way. And so we all have our inner children in ourselves, our inner child. And our inner child has been woken up. You know, we carry that child very protective. We don't like to get in touch with it. It's very afraid or whatever, enraged. And so we're seeing that child re really waking up in the, in the middle of a, of a pandemic that is not very forgiving or supportive. And so I think that that, that has really contributed to a lot of the things that we're seeing um, at, socially speaking at this time where people are very enraged and they're having a really hard time controlling that rage. This is really coming from a deep place of, um, of, of anger and fear and uncertainty. Do you think there are any particular challenges that minorities and or Latinos in general, any minority is is having or extra on during these trying times that not everybody's feeling or or suffering from? The Latino community in this country, across the country, uh, similarly to African Americans, have been very much hit, very hardly hit by this pandemic, and there are several reasons for that, Isa. One of them is that a lot of Latinos, um, the Latinos that we see that are infected in hospitals, when we look at their profile, a lot of these individuals uh, in, this, in this community, they are usually the ones that are actually going out there, providing services, they're working in grocery stores, they're working as cashiers, uh, they may be construction workers, they really are at the front line of what I call the community. And so they may not be at the front line of perhaps being in the, in the healthcare field as healthcare providers, but they really are at the core of what we need every single day, our daily lives. And so what happens is that they tend to be in front of people, they're outside, they're connecting to um, individuals, whether they are, again, uh, as cashiers, collecting dollars and, you know, getting groceries through. And on top of that, a lot of employers, when we look at the, the lives of these individuals, a lot of employers say they're not, Uh, giving them the proper protective uh, equipment that they need, um, or they're not asking for those equipments. They, maybe they're afraid of how to ask. Um, and so that also contributes to that. But one of the things that I've seen a lot, especially here where we live in South Carolina, where we actually are experiencing a spike um, in, in infections, and in particular among Latinos in South Carolina, what we're also are aware of the fact is the fact that they're not getting the education and information that they need within their social networks. So, I mean, I can actually even say this from the point of view of their church leaders. I don't believe that a lot of uh, churches and organizations in our communities have really taken a serious intentional approach to explain to our, you know, our community what, what how it gets transmitted. You know, what are the risk factors, how to protect yourself, and really sort of instilling some sort of fear um, that this is something that can be deadly. And so I think that, you know, I think that there have been a lot of uh, missed opportunities within this community for us to address this, this problem through education and, and 
providing all the resources that I need is support. And on top of that, um, a lot of Latino, uh, fellow Latinos, they live in crowded spaces. You know, as we know, uh, a lot of them may live in, you know, in apartments or they may share a house with other people, other family members. A lot of the members are coming in and out at different times. So they also are interacting with a lot of people. So at the end of the day, this really becomes a social demographic profile kind of situation where we know those who are less educated, underemployed, poor, um, have less access to health care. All those factors are coming together, which is something that really had been experiencing. Mm -hmm. But now with COVID-19, it's something that really puts them at high risk. And I'll just tell you quickly, here in Greenville, at our at Prisma Health, for example, which is where I'm affiliated with, Prisma Health Hospital, 70% of our current patients who are infected in the hospital, who are hospitalized, they are Latinos. And so we're really having a hard time, and we're doing everything we can to provide that education and support, uh, but it's, you know, it's taking time. It really mm -hmm. is taking time. What do you think, in general, challenges that women have more than any other members of our society, even with kids or without kids? Because even without kids, women are supposed to be, I don't know, more nurturing or more in charge of things at home. So what are the, the special or particular challenges that women, with or without kids, have? And, well, we can talk about both groups, with or without children. Yes, well, you know, work. the way that we use to think of working women is that they have two jobs, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? They work, they come back from work, they cook, and I'm not saying everybody cooks, of course, now, you know, families are becoming more, um, you know, there's a fair, much better fairness in terms of uh, the roles that, that men and women are having, but, you know, uh, in general, women work, uh, they come, you know, from work, they come home, they take care of the kids, they help with homework. Now it feels like we have three jobs. So we're working, we're taking care of the kids throughout the day, and then we still do some more. And so, and we also have to take care of the kids, um, well, with school. So the challenges are huge. And, and I also want to mention that this is not something that, you know, affects only women. I do want to touch upon the fact that men are feeling the impact as well. And I don't want to undermine that. But let's say we're, with this particular question, we're focusing on women. Yeah, I think that it's been pretty challenging. And it depends, of course, talking about poverty and resources. It definitely depends on what is the financial and employment situation of these women. There have been, there are some women who can work from home. And that particular situation actually is better sometimes because they don't have to leave, spend money on transportation, get ready in the morning, find, you know, babysitting. So for those population, for that subset of situations, it kind of works okay. Of course, we still have the stressors of the children being home and making sure that they're doing their homework and all that and so on. But so in those situations, a little bit better. But imagine someone that actually needs to be outside, uh, but they're trying to do it from home. Maybe they were let go. Maybe they don't have that job anymore. And so then you bring on all the economic stuff, mm -hmm. the stressors of being home. Um, there's some children that have disabilities that are disabilities that really need to be taken care of um, at school. So all of a sudden you have a parent, men or women, who's trying to deal with that at home. So there's just so many things that come together um, as parents, whether we were employed or not, that makes it really difficult. And helping your children adjust to that reality, not just your reality, um, also takes a toll on women. 
Amen. And as parents, so we're, you know, it's, it's this constant stress that doesn't go away, you know? It's this constant looking behind your back. What do you need? The, the you know, mom and the question. I know I tell you because I experience that every day. You don't know where to go. And it really feels like, where do I go to have my two minutes of respite? So even in that sense, there's just nowhere to hide, you know? And I've heard mothers talk about, I'm taking my phone calls from my closet <laughs> or having a Zoom call call from like my basement so I can, you know, have some private time. And so that sense of this privacy, at, at the same time, we, we, we're not connecting to people in our lives that we want to be connected to like our, you know, our friends and family, uh, external family. But then here we are at home feeling completely like, like we can't breathe, uh, not to use that word lightly, that mm-hmm. phrase lightly, we can't do what we need to do or have our own private space because mm-hmm. our children are all over us at this yeah. time. Yeah, and so the, the children also have an anxiety and they are going through something and we're going through something and you put them together <laughs> and it's a big something now or something else. Right. Yes, and that's the other thing that's very difficult and challenging that not only are we trying to take care of ourselves and cope with our own stuff, but we also need to make sure that we are monitoring how our children are reacting to this. And so you may notice that a child is becoming more impatient, more um, upset, easily irritable. Um, your teenagers, you know, start getting <laughs> even more upset at you for any for, for nothing. <laughs> But you may have little babies that are having a hard time sleeping or eating. And so those things you need to be more aware of and figure out ways that you can support your child. And every child's age is different. So making sure that you understand developmentally what are those challenges for, for children uh, layered around like, you know, social stimulation that they may need from children, not having their friends around, not being able to exercise, go outside and be, you know, go to the park. Uh, those things we really need to be in tune to and either call someone for help, um, have a therapy session or counseling online, if that's something that you can do. Um, or just call your, your, your mom or your sister and have a conversation about, or your friends, how they're dealing with this. Mm-hmm. And so we need to be tuned in to, to, to so many things right now. Mm-hmm. It's very taxing. Thank you for listening to Atenea Americana, your house of culture in the radio and online. In this bilingual show, I bring you every week one hour in English and one hour in Spanish, opening a window to the cultural Hispanic world. You can hear in the intro and at the final of the show, as well as right now, music from the legend of Latin jazz, Oscar Hernandez. This and all my shows are in stanfordhispanicbroadcasting.org where I wait for your comments. I invite you to be part of this. There have been a lot of changes, well, in, in the world of mental health in the last few years. There was first that huge correction, start calling things differently, like uh, Asperger's and autism and ADHD is now is before ADD and ADHD, now it's just one thing. So there were a lot of changes, but lately also came that one, at least in the United States, where therapies now can work in different states without having to, to reciprocate or have a license for each particular state. Uh, so, and that, you know, 
I suppose it came right on time because now therapists are working online and Zoom even more than before. Uh, so now, and you also have a new practice now. So now you are also practicing in the whole United States, not just in, in your state right now, where you were New York and South Carolina. Now you can walk all around. Uh, so yes, it's, uh, uh, there's been tremendous changes, which I actually believe have been very positive for the field of mental health and access to services. Um, so just to briefly touch about the licensing issue, I'm licensed in New York, and I'm licensed in South Carolina. But prior to COVID-19, those changes that have occurred, um, I didn't have, there was no reciprocity for me to be able to service someone, for example, in Florida. And so there's been some changes around that across states, not around the whole country. We're still hoping that that will take place. But at the very least, it allows us to um, provide services to communities that formerly would not be able to have access to services. And so for different reasons, right? Maybe, maybe they're living in a, in a community that's very far away from the city. Uh, perhaps they, they can get to a therapist because of transportation problems. So it really has opened, online therapy has really opened the world um, of mental health services and really made it literally uh, at your fingertips. Um, having said that, it's, you know, it's not affordable. Um, for a lot of people, it's actually still very expensive. Um, it's not the same thing seeing someone in person, although there are studies that show, many studies that show that it is as effective to see someone online as it is to see them in person. Uh, so, yeah, so that, that has changed, and I think that's great. Um, I recently launched a private practice here in South Carolina. Uh, it's called Lumen uh, for being having achieving clarity and, and, and being illuminated and one of the things that we are actually are doing now is providing services online because we have not been able to bring in patients into the into the practice and so that's a change i also think that there's been there is this sort of uh, a versioning change that's happening uh, in mental health especially around therapists like myself where we are um sort of where we're ta- trying to take control over the way that we're talking about mental health if you go on our website, Lumen's website, I, I don't think I mentioned the word mental health. I don't mention the word depression. I don't mention the word anxiety. I don't mention the word, I mean, it's the language is changing and I call it modern therapy. And this is actually the way that I've been doing therapy all of my life. When I have a patient come to me, I'm not really focusing on that pathology or, or that negative symptom or the reason actually that why they came to me. The first thing I start thinking about is how, it, what, what brings meaning to this person? Mm-hmm. What what could this lack of meaning and purpose in their lives, or uh, not being able to um, sort of leverage all this, all the great strengths that they have as a human being? How are those things creating that lack of whether it is happiness or joy or difficulties in relationships, or perhaps a dep- making a depression worse? And so, I am at least myself trying to uh, non pathologize the services, non-pathologize the human being. And this is really called humanistic psychology, mm-hmm. where we really are focusing on the human and all the needs that we have and all the things that makes us feel great and wonderful in life and trying to leverage that mm-hmm. and bring it into the session. And and it's also less, it's much more relaxed, down-to-earth approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at our private practice here, it's, it's, it's full of light and it has big, tall windows and there's no privacy issue that we think about. There's no shame. It looks like a coffee shop. It has poetry that you can read and a beautiful, um, beautiful artwork from a local artist. We're really trying to change how it feels to go to therapy. 
and how you know how we make um, changes in the way that people feel about themselves. And that hopefully these changes are not just changes that they're going to see within you know their time that they're in private practice and maybe for the next six months, but hopefully changes that we're going to be that are going to be long lasting that they're able to take with themselves uh, for forever. Um, that's our goal here, to be honest. Yeah, but and then when you say about wording, I I just felt felt a little bit about another word that means something different today, which is wellness. Now, wellness, people overuse that word, I think. And it's just like a pill of vitamins or someone who has no background, medical, anything, telling you some uplifting speech. I mean, wellness is now another thing. It's yoga, which can be very good, but also like, oh, I'm going to stretch out my arms and that's my wellness Thing to, so it's not to be confusing with that cold war. Although wellness is a good war, we all want to be well, feeling better, but now it has a different meaning too. Right, so we have to be careful. Um, I like to use the word well-being, but you have to be careful when you think about wellness, even well-being, um, because wellness in the hands of someone who's not licensed to practice, yeah. any kind of uh, mental health <laughs> um, intervention, that's where you have to be careful. And so, yes, there are a lot of people um, out there that, you know, uh, they have a sign, they set up a website, and they're a nutrition wellness person. It's You really need to look into that as a consumer and make sure that that person is qualified and what is it that they're trying to help you with. Um, but I think that within the field of mental health, um, we really do have the training and the tools to make sure that we are addressing, um, you know, the, the real conditions that are bringing people to our, you know, to our uh, private practice. We are still using those frameworks, you know, the diagnostic frameworks that we have been taught, and even some of those traditional approaches. But we're really intertwining them and giving it a different, uh, a different twist that we believe is healthy uh, or healthier. Uh, we're trying to get rid of the shame issue and the stigma, and trying to help people find new words to put into how they feel. So perhaps we don't need to be always focusing on the fact that you are you have a bipolar disorder diagnosis like what does that mean you know when you hear that word how does that make you feel when you tell someone in your family you have bipolar disorder what 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 does that do to that person in your relationship with that person so we're trying to help people find different ways of sharing how they feel or the things they're struggling with without really having to use these words that are very powerful and carry a lot of stigma and so that's what we're trying to just create a different way of of having conversations around you know, well-being, mental well-being, uh, mm -hmm. in a sense that is not just focusing on on the condition itself, but just overall, like this feeling of well-being about who you are and finding joy and meaning in your life. I find that mental health, the mental health field, has lost, has never really thought about how people feel joyful and meaningful and purposeful, and that's what we're trying to integrate into that. In general, as a as a professional, do you think that our some general recommendations or, or tips or, or things that we could do at different level, like we should do as, you know, a familiar nucleus or as a village or as a set of friends or community or, and then, you know, moving up the scale that will help us to this crisis, 2020 crisis in general. Yeah, so uh, at, at a personal level, as an individual, I think it's important that you first need to know what makes you feel good? Like, what, what, what is it? You know, some people recharge by being around other people. So imagine those people now. They have nowhere to regroup with themselves because 
when they are, you know, when they're out, they're at work, they're going to a bar, that's when they feel great. They feel connected. Um, so if you're someone like that, you're going to have a harder time now than someone who is home and, and is always feeling comfortable being by themselves and they love to be quiet and they like to have a, a small space to sit and read a book. And so you have to figure out for yourself, what, who, who am I? What is it that makes me feel alive and, and, and um, like I can come to myself and feel that energy? So I think that, you know, looking at that first, like for me, I like to, I'm someone that likes to every day have an hour or two where I'm just quiet. I'm, I can read a book. I can just go online and listen to some TED Talks, whatever it is that makes me feel wonderful. I need that time. And then there's some other people in my family that they really need to be out there outside talking to people, socializing. And for those people, they need to go on Zoom or make sure they continue to have something going on with with the rest of the world. So you have to know who you are and what helps you. So that's one thing. The second thing is you know, continue to educate yourself. There's a lot of resources online that help you, that will help you. Like if you're feeling this way, what can you do? So using a lot of the coping tools that you can learn from online, I think that's gonna be very important. But equally important and maybe most importantly is making sure that you do keep a connection with people who are outside of you. That's going to be crucial. And I, I, I like virtual, like the Zoom calls and all that. But I think that sometimes having a phone call where you're not even looking at the person's face may actually be very therapeutic sometimes. Because when we are seeing each other, there's still that sort of social referencing, the expectation of how we should look and how we should feel. And this this sort of screen that gets in the way. And so I always tell my patients, just have a phone call with your sister without, just in the dark. That way it allows you to just say more, you know, and be more expressive and not be afraid or of what her reaction is going to look in her face. So having those kinds of more intimate conversations, I think that for people who are like myself, who like to be quiet and more, you know, um, by themselves, I think that those are great moments that we, we cherish. Um, so that would be one thing. And then also just uh, reaching out when you need help. If you're not feeling well, if you're having a hard time sleeping, if you have, if your appetite has changed, if you're gaining weight or losing weight, um, if you feel moody or irritable or tired all the time, or you know just feeling anxious, those are signs that maybe you need to talk to someone. And one of the things that we normally look at when we're thinking about when we should seek help um, is two things. One, any changes in those areas that I told you, changes in how we're sleeping and how our mood and our, you know, just not wanting to do things that we normally like, enjoy doing. The second thing is um, level of functioning. Like how functional are you at this time? You know, are you still able to get up in the morning and do the things you need to do? Um, are you able to continue to do your work and do it at the level that you were doing it before? How is your quality of life changing? And so when those those things that are outside of ourselves are changing, like what we do and how we feel inside internally, we need to keep like uh, monitoring those things all the time and perhaps have someone that we trust in our family helping us understand how much those things are changing in ourselves and try to seek help. Um, like I said, there's a lot of opportunity now to access um, services and, and different, you know, different levels of services. And I think that would be a good, good way to do that. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm going to answer your next question. And in terms of our community, I think that there's a lot, of, still there's a lot of institutions and organizations out there that can help the community. I know that there's been uh, now in phases, people returning to church or they're returning to, they're opening up parks um, and uh, perhaps some organizations, but 
taking, you know, being very careful about going out there um, is going to be important. But if you are there, figuring out ways that the community can support you. I think that's going to be really important. Uh, helping families cope with the changes that they're having at home, whether it is, you know, they have engaging um, activities online or not for their children. Uh, just, just being able to um, uh, have the committee, whether it is through the church or television networks or agencies that are in the committee, make sure that they are uh, at least validating for the community that this is a hard time, mm -hmm. providing resources, making sure families have lunch and, and breakfast for their kids. I know a lot of schools are doing that, um, at least in South Carolina, they're bringing buses to the communities. Just acknowledging that, they, that these communities need support is going to be important. Um, and I think that having organizations now come to us instead of us coming to them because we can, um, I think that's going to be very important. What, you know, just bringing these buses, the vehicles that can come into your community, set up some place in the community where people, even if they're social distancing, they can come and ask questions that they need. I think having the, the structures that are out there come into the community and reaching out to the community, I think it's going to be really important. Just bringing the services to, to the community, I think would be helpful. Yeah, and uh, in our state, uh, well, it's in the northern of the Bay Area, one of the things that a lot of mayors and even the, our governor in California encourage people to walk outside with social distancing, but as he said, that it's healthier to be, go and take a walk. Everybody should go and take a walk. Social distancing, but you know, have this take a little bit of sun during the day and and breathe regular air between trees. And uh, a lot of the the local parks remained open, and uh, some of our local uh, county parks they even had like one way loops, so people will still be able to go into the trail and maintain six feet uh, between them because you are going only in one direction, for example, or do as much as you can. But yeah, th there are ways to, you know, to have some space also and still live with nature and, and so on. Yeah, I, I really love the fact that you brought that up. Um, mm -hmm. There's been plenty of studies that talk about the therapeutic effects of being around nature mm -hmm. and being... Um, you know, being in parks, open spaces. And um, not only just therapeutic effects emotionally, but actually physically, where your level of, um, you know, your heart pulse goes down, your blood pressure goes down. It's just, it's a very, it's a zen status, zen sort of space. Mm -hmm. And so I definitely encourage, if, you know, if your parks are open, I agree with you, Lisa, going to the park, even if it's 15 minutes, just going outside and getting some, some fresh air. Just looking at the color green is actually very, very therapeutic. So, yeah, and you can go out there with your your children. Um, and, you know, it's just as you're protected and protected. I think it's, that, that that's really, uh, that's therapy for yourself for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, to, to close a little bit for today, uh, I mean, do you see any big changes in people or or any new attitude in people for the year in general? I say we started, at least in the United States, we started the year with one week, one, we were apparently almost going to one war, two weeks later to a different war. Uh, then a lot of other things that were troubling us and then we have the pandemic and now we have social unrest and now everybody is what are what should we preparing in 15 days what else is coming <laughs> like and what's gonna go what's gonna happen next month and then how is this year going to end because it's like 
every few weeks we have something really worrisome and stressing for everybody. So do you think we're going to have some sort of like, I don't know, after effect or a psychological paranoia? I don't know, something because this horrible year apparently is like everything coming. Um, so yes, I actually have a couple of thoughts on that. So Isa, it's all about taking one day at a time. That's all we have, we have right now. And I think if there's a lesson, collective lesson, you know, collective social worldly lesson that we have in this um, with COVID-19 and what we're experiencing is that let's live now. Like this is, this is all we have. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in four hours. So let's just be present. And it's hard to, to do that. I acknowledge that it's very hard to do that. But if you get caught up on what's going to happen tomorrow or next month and am I going to have that job, that's just going to take you to a black hole. So, um, so it's, so yeah, staying, staying in, uh, on course, just being aware of what we're doing right now. What can you do right now to make your situation right now better? So I think that's important. But the other thing I wanted to talk about mention is that I remember somewhere around November, December, 2019, I was so excited about 2020 because I said, wow, 2020, that's like clear vision. Right. Like, you know, I have 2020. I can uh, I can see great. You know, I have a clear vision and I never, never in a million years would have thought that. Whoa. Yes, we definitely this has definitely been 2020, <laughs> 2020 vision year, because now a lot of truths that some people in this world were experiencing uh, situations that other people were experiencing in your neighborhood. All of a sudden, all those all the situations are becoming real like people can see them i can understand now what it means not to be able to go somewhere because you don't have a car you know that i understand now because i'm home and i can't go anywhere i understand how it feels not to be able to access a doctor because i don't have money i understand how that person feels i may have had that all my all my life but i couldn't relate to that so all of a sudden we really are relating to situations and um challenges that we're really foreign to us. And so I think that's that's a win. And if we were to look at anything positive, I think that's a win in terms of our humanity. And then also collectively, I think that we have really um, changed for forever. Um, at least this generation and your, you know, your children's generation and mine, this will go down as the Great Depression in a different way. And so I think that just that awareness of, of vulnerability, uh, the having a clear vision as to how we depend on each other, that interdependence that we were not really aware of, that has become really clear um, with with this pandemic. And I don't think we should take that lightly. And I hope that these are lessons that are going to serve us well as we continue to live our lives and be a part of our community and be a global citizen, that we're not forgetting that. So perhaps the lesson that, that the painful lesson, the painful clarity and vision is that the 2020 vision is that we we are we all need each other you know we really all need each other and you know we we depend on on one another for every single layer of, of our lives um and that we should appreciate appreciate what we have and appreciate each other so i just want to end it there mm -hmm. and thank you so much for having me yes. again on your radio show yes thank thank you again for coming and uh, to the interview having the interview even if it's <laughs> online and virtual but yes like at least now we can connect in the same level with the person next door that with the person with the other side of the world because all of them are in a screen <laughs> that's correct <laughs> that's correct
exactly. Well, thank you very much. And I hope to have you again soon. I, I hope so too. Thank you, Lisa. <laughs> thank you. And this was Atenea Americana. Atenea Americana. Stanford 90.1 FM. Radio Atenea Americana. A window to the Latin universe. This is Atenea Americana. Bilingual house of culture. On the air and online. Su casa de la cultura en la radio y online. Para Radio 90.1 KCSU Stanford. I am Isabel Jubes. Isabel Jubes. Vuelve pronto. Atenea Americana. From Stanford to the world. Remember to come back soon. Ciao. See you later.